Welcome to The Power of Rhythm, a podcast with your host, Reinhard Flatischler, founder of Mega Drums, Takatina Symphonic, and a worldwide network of groundbreaking rhythm training. This podcast will offer you an incredible diversity of voices around the one thing that connects us all. Rhythm. Welcome to my podcast again. This is episode 20. And together with my guest, I invite you on a journey. Actually, on a musical journey that will take us on the road between Iran and Pakistan, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, also down to the Indus Valley and all the way up to Turkey. All places where you can encounter Sufi music. And while some rigid forms of Islam have abundant or even prohibited music, Sufis always have been in love with it. There's a famous anecdote of Rumi, actually. Once the master Jalal Adin spoke, music is the shrieking of the doors of paradise. And said one of the narrow-minded fools, I don't like the shrieking of the doors. Jalal Adin responded, I hear the doors when they are open, you hear them when they are closed. So with that, my guest, he studied Indian Trupat. And then from Trupat, he turned into Troubadour singing. He has written books, several books actually. One is Troubadours of Allah, Singers Die Twice, and Mali, A Journey Through a Magic Country. Someone said, he is a wild man, raw, daring, honest, and diving very deeply into his dream life. Knowing him for quite some time, I agree. Welcome, Peter Panke. Yes, my dear. I went through Afghanistan, Pakistan, and uh, of course also Iran, hitchhiking. This was the 60s. You did similar things, and then we both also met in India a little later than when you already were into studying Drupad. And so maybe we start the journey there. What would bring you actually engaging in, you know, learning the, one of the most difficult vocal styles on the world, Drupad? Uh. You know, when I was lying in my cradle, I was in my cradle and my father was singing songs together with my mother. And he was playing the lute. You know, there was a, uh, it, he was already quite old. And in his youth, he had been what we called in Germany, the Wandervogel, mm -hmm. a movement of, you know, pre-hippie 20s or, the, or even First World War. We try to escape the cities and go to the forest to discover our true nature <laughs> by hanging out in the forest, right? So these sounds, that actually stopped uh, very soon when I was quite young. There was conflict between my parents, but I think whatever I did in my life was trying to recapture 
this feeling of wonder, you know, and this feeling of being totally filled and embraced by sound, which I had at the time, you know, as a, as a child, you can feel much more than we do. Uh, uh, we don't remember that, but I think we are aware of that. Somehow, whatever I did in music was always on recapturing the feelings in a human voice. And I picked up this lute from my father. I tried to play by heart, you know, just listening to Big Bill Brunzi, Lightning Hopkins, Muddy Waters, you know, because I felt these people are really singing their heart out. And this is what I want, you know. You know, when I was young, in, like in church or in the school, there was nothing like meditation. The Hare Krishna temple, the first Hare Krishna temple was opening just next door in Hamburg. So I heard Bhaktivedanta Swami and uh, I was, I found some old Persian records, you know, classical, traditional Persian Iranian music. And that's why I included one track of this very, very first Persian Sufi album, which I heard it comes, goes back all the time. And uh, the first LP of Ali Akbar Khan, you know, was there, which was called the 40 minute Raga, because it was the first time in human history that somebody dared to play a piece which was lasted for 40 minutes on both sides of an LP. I mean, it was totally unheard of. So this blew me away. But then I listened to the first LP of the Elder Dagger Brothers, uh, which was recorded in Berlin in 64. And I thought, what do these people ha really have to say? How do they do it? You know, so in effect, what I did is that I hitchhiked uh, to India, and I got stuck in Pakistan. Uh, I lived for half a year or so in Sindh in, in, in a shrine, in a Sufi shrine. And I came there without any previous knowledge about the Islam or the music or whatever. I was you know, like 22. So, and I had also no idea of the language and whatever. I got so totally overwhelmed by what I just heard on the speakers of the buses that I was with a guy who was totally stuck on going to India because he wanted to join his guru. So we parted and I hitchhiked uh, south and I stayed for some weeks in Esfahan and then in uh, Shiraz. I bought myself a sitar in Shiraz and I started to play it. And then I just drifted along the Gulf and eventually I, I, I ended up in Pakistan. You know, if we, like if we talk of Sufi music, there is no such a thing as Sufi music. The styles like from Morocco to uh, Bangladesh or even Indonesia or even further in the diaspora, you know, they are so diverse like Swiss mountain yodel and the harbor concert. There is one thing which unites. I did some of the Sufi festivals, so the question came up when we were discussing or sitting together, and Kutsi Argenir, the top uh, ney player, uh, who plays the ney, the mm -hmm. instrument which we will play next, Kutsi said, you know, it's very easy. Sufi music is the music which a Sufi plays. And so uh, my interest always has been in that authentic voice. It was not, I wasn't in search of Sufi music, you know, I was in search of a true heart. The beautiful thing about music, and I'm sure you agree with me, is 
that it can express things which you cannot really say in words because it's feelings. It's very interesting, but it's also, of course, as you say, it's the music to dive into. And I think it's time also to dive in the first uh, nay. The reed, which is cut off from the ground and it's hollow, it's totally empty of any kind of, and the only thing which is there is, Take me back to where you cut me off. So this is a song, you know, this this is a, the essence of the song. Listening to it always gives you the most direct information. And yes, as we hear it, what you said, this pain of being cut off, it's clearly audible in the night. So for me, a question is the part, which of course is the most uh, ancient Norse Indian vocal style and quality. I think this is the both things you have uh, encountered deeply or learned also. What's the connections? Let me take you a little around. You know, there are people who I who really deeply impressed me 
by the quality, by that special quality of their music, and they wouldn't even be called Sufi musicians, like Tumani Diabate from Mali, the, the, the Kora player. I think he played with Zakir also, and I, I mean, he played with lots of people. He's, he's like the king of kings in, in Mali, and his music comes from a, also, again, from a very old Gharana, you know, like 13th century at least. His ancestors have been playing for the kings of Mali and Ghana. And the other guy I really appreciate a lot and I wrote also uh, for one of his albums, which is Abdullah Ibrahim, which whom, whom you know, I'm sure, because he's in the jazz world. And uh, so I did, uh, I wrote something on a CD of his, which was called African Magic. This is also, this is also somebody who really impressed me, you know. I was actually in the festival uh, in Victring. This was also, I think, in the 60s or 70s, I think yeah, yeah. 70s. Right. Uh, where I really, I was a student of Friedrich Gulda. So this was uh, a very direct encounter with him at this time. And it was mm. a crazy circle back then, really diving into music very deep. The Sufi master or the Sufi authority who has really expressed himself about music very clearly is a guy who came to Lahore from Baghdad in the 12th century and of 11th. He became known as Dada Ganjbaks, the giver of gifts. He's the patron saint of Lahore. You know, Lahore, you have to imagine Lahore has a couple of hundred shrines and all different traditions. Some are exclusive drama traditions, uh, but, but Dada Ganjbaksha is like everybody. Everybody in Lahore has been to the shrine. It's also been targeted by a terrible attack some years ago. At that time, 800 years ago, there was also like you've been announcing in Islam, uh, music uh, probably forbidden or, you know, a thing like that. So, so, so he, at that point, uh, Hujwiri, Ali bin Hujwiri, Dada Ganjbaksh, this man, he said that whoever says that sounds and music do not impress and move him is either a madman or he's a hypocrite. This is a very clear statement, you know. If you care for your soul, you should be careful of what kind of music you are listening to because music is something very, 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 very powerful. And nevertheless, music is just the last whale. You know, the book which I'm talking about is called The Revelation of the Seal. So he's describing 11 whales which are hiding the ultimate reality. And it's, this is the first book which was written in, in Farsi and Persian about like Sufi lore and stuff. And so the, the last of these whales is a whale of sound. And he said, music is just is something which, which is, is the last cover and behind music, there is nothing but the ultimate reality. So if you do music, you must be careful not to cover and music is just an embellishment on these whales and it, it shouldn't overpower you know so and then he was living at the time when Kavali was coming up you know Kavali started from Delhi then it came to Punjab so this was a time of Amir Khusro so let me you know, ask you Punjab is in 
India, right? Punjab is divided between India and Pakistan. So so he this guy came to visit this master Kagi and and Kagi said my friend welcome what would you like to do most at that moment and this guy had come walking uh, three days without taking a shower and eating or sleeping or whatever you know and he arrived he said let me listen to the to this kawali i've heard about and so Kagi said very well. He calls uh, the guide who, who did the kawali, and they played for him for six hours. And he fell down to the ground, and he came uh, back to his senses, and they were still playing. And so, in the end, when it was over, Kagi came in and said, "My friend, how did you like it?" This guy, he said, "It was the most amazing experience I ever did." And Kagi said to him, "Listen, my friend, there will come a time." to you when these sounds will not mean anything more to you than the croaking of frogs what i'm interested also is how is uh, sindh where you've been in pakistan right uh-huh. then you go up to indus and how is this related with uzbekistan and tajikistan look look the thing is like if you look at the indus you know sindh is the name of the river sindh which is also indus we call it indus in english but they call it sindh and this is also the backbone of old india you know the vedas for instance were written not on the ganges but on the on the indus on the branches of on the sides of the indus and the word india is also coming from the indus so this was like the meeting place of all the cultures and the the oldest culture which is there we don't know even and from that time onwards stories are floating up and down on this valley and these stories have been told and retold and used for music and used for poetry for now for maybe for 6 8000 years nobody nobody knows how old they really are you know so there were all these different religions the arabs and the buddhists and the hindus and and the ismailis from the mm-hmm. mountains is uh, the indus not uh, in origin coming from mount kailash the, the origin of the india is in tibet it's the area around kailash all the great rivers of asia come from an area of a few square kilometers but then as soon as it as it leaves china it comes into pakistani territory and then it goes down to the arabian sea to get a little bit more into this music shall we listen to music again we have a dolagman who plays sitar dolagman is and i think in tajikistan he's one of the top sufi singers the actually interesting thing oh one of the interesting things in this uh, recording is he's actually a singer right and what he's singing is a language called dari and this is the ancient form of farsi which is persian and so dari this is the original language of rumi devanesho which means go crazy uh, and and it goes through all kinds of reasons why you have to destroy your house and leave it behind and why you have to give up your archives and your disciples and really go for what is of real eternal value the only way to do that is to become totally irresponsibly crazy yeah.
دارد رها کن آشیقا دیوانشو دیوانشو دیلد رها کن آشیقا دیوانشو دیوانشو بندر دیلی آتش درا پروانشو پروانشو بندر دیلی آتش درا پروانشو پروانشو هم خش را بگال کن هم خانه را heard a lot about the background so far what I really am very interesting in that you have actually embarked on a journey by learning the vocals by doing the vocals by singing yourself and if you are willing to I would be very curious if you share some of the direct experiences you made on this bus yeah it's a pleasure Okay, that means uh, for a moment uh, we are leaving the Sindh Valley. <laughs> okay, 
I skipped the part, the, the really interesting part, which I went through in the Indus Valley, on which I'm just writing my novel or trying to complete it. <laughs> because there happened much more than just uh, staying at a Sufi shrine. Very life-changing experiences, but it's probably not... Uh, not the space to talk about that. You have to become crazy in order to, you know, free your soul in a way. That's clear. So, you know, you can talk, this is about a place you can talk about anything. And the more you want to share from yourself, it's really appreciated. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, okay. We, we come to Drupad a little later. When I came into the Sufi country, you know, the most, the, the biggest shrine of the country, full of people which I've never seen before, you know, who never spent a thought about money or something, you know, people who lived a, a life of ecstasy and danced every night, you know, I went to, to dance in the shrine. This shrine has a custom that since the last 800 years, every night, they are dancing in front of the shrine, in front of the tomb. And they have about 16 pairs of nagaras, you know. The biggest have like one and a half square meter, you know. They're huge, really huge. And then smaller and smaller, so they have a total gallery of 16 different sizes of drums. And the biggest ones are giants, really. And they beat them with sticks, and they do this dance every night. And, and in this context, I have a question to you, something I would like to ask you, because this is called the Dhamal. It's basically a rhythm. All these guys playing there every night, so they do all kinds of things with their rhythms. And so, so what they do is that they constantly shift them from two to three to five, you know, like, and, and once you think you, you, you caught a one, Next time, it, it all already has moved somewhere else. So the thing is, um, what I felt is that they are really doing something with your brain. They try to stop your brain because your, like your analytical mind absolutely has to stop to do that, to look for a one. I, for my part, I understood the only thing I can do is just give my body to the rhythm and my body will show me and eventually you start to move like a cat, you know, or like an animal. And there's always, you know, balance and imbalance. And the brain doesn't interfere anymore. You, know? you get into that rhythm. Now we were actually uh, diving almost into Morocco. And that has the connection to Mali. And you've been in Mali. You've written a book about Mali. Yeah. The magic Mali. Shall we listen to some, you know, of the Mali uh, recording? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's clear you can hear Africa, Mali. This is uh, uh, Gnawa. These guys live in Morocco. I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and they actually uh, they came. The name Gnawa is Gnawi is like Guinea. So so actually, they came from West Africa at the time when the black slaves were taking taking over also to Brazil and Haiti and you know. So the Arabs uh, caught them and brought them in gunny bags to Morocco through the Sahara Desert. And whoever uh, survived was sold on the market in Marrakesh. You know, in a way, the Gnawas were much more lucky than the Haitian slaves because the Gnawas, they became warriors. They became the, the like the guard of the Sultan of Marrakesh or whoever it was. So they managed to get themselves freed. Their songs are always about freeing themselves, healing themselves. And in fact, the, the Gnawas are not only musicians, they are also healers. So this is, is again like a spiritual side of, of Sufi music. It's also kind of a soul music because it talks about this journey of the soul. This is the essence what's what's happening in all Sufi music. So it's kind of a soul music, right? Uh, I lived in, in Marrakesh for some time and I was initiated into that cult by a woman. And uh, this is a very personal story, which, uh, uh, which I don't want to tell here uh, in full. But in Pakistan, you know, the, the experience at the, at, the, at the Sufi shrines, this was like a rather innocent young guy who was going into that, you know, kind of Parzival, not knowing what was happening around him, trying to find out, you know. So by the time I was in Morocco, I was already middle of 50 or something like that. And this time, the music and rhythm really took me into sex, into the sexual aspects of that. So you know that Jung is talking about the anima, you know, like your basic female counterpart. I had this encounter in, in Morocco in the context of Gnawa. Uh, you know, Jung would say that to, to encounter the anima, is something which can completely throw you off your feet. That's yeah. true, certainly true, yes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> is this what has happened? I was very wary of that, that my whole life would be turned upside down and I would totally end up in a totally different thing, you know. And I was a bit wary of that because the same thing had, had happened to my father at the same age. When he was 56, he encountered my mother, who was 20. And uh, they eventually got together and it didn't work out very well, I must say. And so this, I was at the same age. I, I, I was also a, with a woman who was 20 and I was totally thrown off, out of my feet. Uh, I was really like under a spell. I mean, if you use powers that are not your powers and you play with them, which always happens in black magic, and in many cults, you know, I know, then uh -huh. uh, you are going into slavery inside with your soul. This is the opposite of the freeing the soul. Exactly, yes, yes, yes. Mali is, you know, if you imagine what would have been the music of the old Nile Valley, like the pharaohs, how do you imagine that? Mali, the old Mali uh, uh, mu music, 
is like that, you know, it's totally ancient. It's similarly organized like ragas. I went to Mali because in the in Timbuktu, behind Timbuktu in the desert, you know, like you go to Timbuktu, which is not an easy thing to do, but you have to go to Timbuktu first. And then you go into the desert, you know, for six hours. And then you come to a spot where there is completely white sand, which is called Esakan. And there is a Tuareg meeting. And the Tuaregs were opening their meeting to the world music. Robert Palmer was there and, you know, some of these guys. But it was uh, also very tough, you know. There was hardly any place to, to sleep. And it was full of, full of Scorpios. You can't breathe anymore because the sand is so fine that it, it gets in your nose and your throat. A really hard experience. I can so, relate to this, yeah. I was in the... Desert Sahara, like three months. And okay. Yeah. So I know about it's a different location, but yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's there. This is a. This is a. You have the experience. So, so what happened is that I went back to Mali uh, with my wife. She was also was there, and we were staying in a hotel on the suburbs of Bamako. This was like a garden, you know, garden garden cottages in a garden, this kind of hotel. And uh, I went to sleep and I woke up from a dream in which I was uh, taken to the king of the dream world. So I, I, I came there, they brought me there and he had just, he was just leaving with, with his wife. I just saw him from the back, but there were two, two monkeys. And they were dancing up and down and, you know, and I, the, the, I had a soup, a bowl of soup, which I wanted to eat. And they had some little uh, sticks and they beat into the soup that splashed all over, you know, and they jumped up and down. And they had a little magic stick, you know, a magician stick, which actually I had on my writing desk, which somebody had given to me. And while they were jumping up and down, they were explaining something to me not really in words, but, but through their movements and what they were saying, you are a fool. You have been looking for Mali in the wrong place because you've been only looking on the outside, you know, and the outside of Mali is full of dust and it's also full of potholes and it's not very freshly painted. But in Mali, actually, we live in the dream world and the dream world is fantastic. So you have to understand that in this reality which you see, there are entrances through which you can go from the, your, your so-called reality into the dream world. And then you can do travel wherever you like without any effort. You can go from here to New York in, in a second and you can go through this wall and you can become big and small, whatever you like. The only limit is the limit of your fantasy. And this is what we do in Mali. So if you, for God's sake, want to find the real Mali, you have to find the Mali of your dreams because that is where we live. And this world is much bigger uh, than the what you call the real world. The real world is just a bubble which is floating around in the dream world. So I got up, I wrote it down. I told my wife that no problem, we stay on. It seems to be very interesting. I want to look what's happening in this country. And so I spent some happy days, went back, and then after some time to Mani, Diabate is a master musician of whole of West Africa. He came to Germany, to Berlin to promote his new CD. So I went there. He was sitting in a hotel room 
and I went in and I said, look, I want to tell you what I have dreamt in Mali. You know, this was my dream. What is that? And he said, look, Peter, you're the first person who has asked me an intelligent question. Just come to Mali and I'll introduce you to my marabou, the guy who is, uh, is doing dreams. And so I went back to Mali and eventually made two trips all around Mali, all over the place, and asked people about their dreams and their dream world. And this is a big subject, you know, like in Bamako, there is a radio station, which is thus devoted to dreams. And the listeners phone in and tell their dreams and the DJ is interpreting their dreams. It's called Radio Crocodile. So it seems like you have been diving into the world of dreaming in Mali. I had a similar experience with the Aboriginal people in Australia. Uh -huh. mm. uh, and ever since, of course, I do this practice for myself, like being a dreaming. Actually, I think the, the listeners start to understand what I have said about you. He's a wild man, <laughs> People are raw and daring, yeah. And that that comes out that you really want to know, and you want, really want to the like deep down where it is, and that also brought you actually to. Bihar, and I want to take you back there where you uh, really were with the Malik. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No one went there. Malik Bihar is like, you know, north of Calcutta, nothing's happening there. But uh, the last uh, big, big, big um, people singing, troop band, have been your masters and your guides. Well, you know, the, the uh, Bihar is probably the Wild East, you know, like we talk of the Wild West and uh, Bihar is the Wild East. If you pick up a travel guide, you would, and you, you open the chapter of Bihar and it says, uh, you should get yourself an armed escort to travel through this country, especially if you leave the limits of the city of Patna. So this is the state of affairs. Actually, uh, my trigger to come to, uh, which called me to Drupad, really the voice of the, uh, the eldest Daga brothers. And I had, by the time we met in India, probably I was still hanging out in Delhi with the Daga brothers. And I had some, I did maybe two years of very intense uh, singing with them. You know, I actually, we met before because I was doing the singing pool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, how to dive into sounds and this stuff. And then I was, uh, I had already started, I had studied in Benares. But uh, the Dagas and the Maliks are the two different traditions, right? Yes, it's, uh, it's two different traditions, yes. The, uh, well, these are like the two big traditions still surviving. There were many more before. Uh, or, or a few, but these like the the two major traditions uh, of of what is called Drupad. But Drupad is like a very multi-level uh, phenomenon. Actually, you, Reinhard, you know what happened by the in '79? I think when we were in Pune, sometimes together. I think uh, I remember at that time, or maybe before, I told you uh, Walter Bachauer in, in Berlin, you know, the Metamusik Festival uh, mm -hmm. director. He had uh, fixed an invitation for me to go to Seoul. 
And uh, I was actually I was very keen on going to Seoul because I had uh, uh, I had met some Pansori singers. You know Pansori, right? Of course, I was there for three years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to uh, you know, you have an idea what that is because Pansori, I think, impressed me really, really very much because this has a scope which is as broad as Drupad, I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe even broader because it uses different languages also. But at that time, it was my decision either I should stay on in India or I would go further and further. So so I didn't accept that invitation because I wanted to go back to India. I wanted to put my feet on the ground in India because I felt that if I don't do it here, I will just float around all over the place. So I passed on this invitation to you. And uh, uh, eventually you went there. You know, this is uh, like the story comes back in my mind. On the evening before I was supposed to go to Chidambaram, there was a party and I was invited to this party and the younger Daga brothers were there. And so that's how I met them. And I had decided on the spot that I would just stay there and stay with them because I had been looking for that for so many years. So I did that. But uh, eventually I found out that uh, there are much more, uh, many more and also more interesting uh, traditions or more authentic traditions, let's say. There was a, a very old singer who was called the King of Drupad. And he was like the, the figure from the old, old world, from the courts, you know, he had been a court singer all his life. And he was like a, like a warrior. And I really fell in love with this guy. And we started a Drupad school in Vrindaban. This is the place where Drupad actually came from in the 15th century, 16th century. So we called these guys from Bihar and I started to travel to Bihar and spend time with this guy. And uh, the Malik family, right? Yes, this is Ramchatter Malik, and then his. So I've been with this family now for five generations. I I know five generations of that family, and I tell this whole story what happened in my book uh, Singers Die Twice. But uh, you know, Drupad is in a way. Some people say Drupad, like you said, it's very complicated or very difficult, and so on. This is something which also the Daga brothers would say, but in in effect, you know, Drupad is not at all difficult. Dif- Drupad is the ABC of Indian classical music. Everything in strict order, in strict sequence, you go through that. And Dilip Chandravedi, you know, the great Khyal singer from the 30s and 40s, who was our teacher in Delhi, also above 80, who came from the time, he always used to say, Whoever doesn't study Drupad first is a first-class fool. Because if you if you do Drupad, you can branch out to everything. Uh, but if you don't do that and you go studying Tumri or Khyal, you will never be able to go back to Drupad to the real naked sound, to the real, because Drupad is making the sound naked. It makes it visible, you know, it makes it discernible. Whereas the latest styles give you all the embellishments and variations and stuff. But the, the idea of Drupad is to cut through to the absolute skeleton of musical knowledge. Let's listen to some Drupad.
भक्ति I don't know. 
was uh, uh, Bido Malik, uh, who was our main teacher in the Drupal school in Vrindavan and uh, is uh, like the younger generation from my from the great master Ramchandra Malik and then his sons are singing with him and his sons became my best buddies you know we've been doing hundreds and hundreds of concerts together and touring and uh, uh, and they have children, and the children again have now children, and the children in this family are born, you know, when they open their mouths, they start to sing Drupad. This recording is from a special place, which is in Benares, 
the Tulsi God, where Tulsi was uh, composing the Ramayana in, in Hindi mm -hmm. and in the 16th century. So this is one of the very sacred spots. And, and Drupad was kind of reborn on that place because the head priest of that, Tulsi, of that temple, the Hanuman temple, was himself a Pakavaj player. And he knew all the Pakavaj players all over India in the temples who had survived not in the radio, but only in the temples. And he called them and also the singers. So the, and this was 74 or 75 when the first Rupert Miller started in Minaris. So this recording I, I did at that time of these people who eventually became my lifelong uh, companions. The thing is that Rupert, when it came up, like the Sufis, you know, the, the people who did bring up Drupad were heretics, you know, they were revolutionaries. Because at that time, until that time in India, the priests were totally in control of the sacred texts. They were the only ones who knew Sanskrit and they would do rituals for you and you have to pay them. And they would totally control whatever kind of uh, uh, religious knowledge gets into people's minds, right? And so in the 15th century, there was a, a wave which went over India that many people in different places started to have visions. And they were, were all seeing the vision that Krishna was being reborn in a place in India. And uh, his life had been already told in Sanskrit, in the Vishnu Purana. But uh, so they were getting the message in their visions that he was coming down. So, so they all, they, they crisscrossed all over India and they all came together in a place called Vrindavan. In a, in, a, in a small country between Delhi and Agra. There were people from the South and from Bengal and from Punjab, all saints and singers, you know, and, and they came together and they worked out their experience and they started to sing the message and not in Sanskrit, but in clear uh, uh, common language, which the low caste people understood. So they told the whole secrets of Radha and Krishna. They told that to the common people. And this was a revolution. Drupad, on one hand, is revolutionary. On the other hand, it's also like ABC. It's the practical knowledge of music. You know, you get the foundation of all the rhythms. It's a complete uh, system to introduce people into music. But then it also has a level of meditation, you know, which you also can see is like a spiritual music. And then it also has a healing uh, aspect to it. I used uh, uh, Drupad as a tool to reconstruct my brain. And this is something I have been, since then, I've been uh, sharing with people. And I'm not really uh, thinking of my singing as a style with a certain limit, but as a, as a structuring, uh, modeling uh, the brain, you know. It's very interesting what you say, because I just had a guy on the podcast called Janata, Petro Janata. Mm -hmm. He is a brain uh, neuroscience, and he does interesting uh, projects like memory recall through music. So that yeah. means you can bring up informations that you might have forgotten yeah. or lost yes. through yes. music. And yes. it seems like you're doing that. That's great. It's yes. amazing. 
So Peter, to finish up with music, let's go to Pakistan again and have Surab Fakir singing some. Surab Fakir, Surab Fakir, yes. Thank you, Peter, for taking us on such a journey. Finally, also talking about your own recovery through music, through Drupad. That was a wonderful reconnection, actually, after a long, long time. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I hope 
all the listeners have enjoyed this incredible um, diversity. I, I also would like to thank you because uh, we have not uh, connected for many years, you know, and uh, I always thought that we share uh, something, you know, and we've spent some intense time together in the in the polo club in Pune <laughs> and in Delhi and with Harish Juhari and with, uh, you know, all, all the figures of that time. So this was an important period. I always felt that you were uh, an, an important and interesting figure. And uh, so I was really glad when you uh, phoned me up and asked me to do this podcast, because this is such a wonderful occasion to, to share something, you know, and also to reconnect. What a sound podcast. Thank you so much for taking us on this journey today. Yeah. And uh, I hope you listen to us too have been really enjoying this far journey into Sufi soul and actually soul of human uh, all together. So if you like my podcast, again, come and subscribe. It's uh, www.powerofrhythm.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow me on Facebook and on Instagram. And for now, until we dive more into wonderful journeys, I wish you a great day, a great time. Stay happy and keep on grooving.